NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. The Russian economy will be significantly impacted by U.S.-led sanctions. That's according to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who also told reporters that economic and humanitarian aid is pouring into Ukraine. She also said the Biden administration is taking numerous steps to try and deter additional energy price spikes in the U.S. And that means engaging closely with partners around the world. It means considering a range of options that are all on the table uh, to reduce the impact uh, on the oil markets. A group of 50 members of Congress has written to President Biden about potential U.S. troops involvement in the Russia-Ukraine crisis. They point out the Constitution gives Congress the authority to declare and finance war. A vast majority of Americans say books discussing race or differing political ideas should not be banned from schools. That's according to a new CBS News and YouGov survey. I'm Brian Shook. Remember, mammograms detect breast cancer. Schedule yours today. Our sponsor is Realtor RSLE Gomez with Realty Executives of Riverside. She will get you listed fast or put you in your dream home. If you're buying or selling real estate in the area, call RSLE at 951-575-6716. Again, 951-575-6716. View current listings at RealtyExecutive.com. Realtor RSLE Gomez with Realty Executives of Riverside. Proud supporters in the battle against breast cancer. For several years, KCAA has been marketing the Longevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with Longevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse, and for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. Medicare Clarified. Hi, this is George Litchfield with Litchfield Insurance Associates. Well, it's getting close to that time of year again where you want to make sure you're getting the most out of your Medicare plan. There are exciting new plans for 2022 with United Healthcare, SCAN, and others. For your no-obligation review, people are calling... 951-314-1949. If you're turning 65, new to the area, or losing group coverage and have questions about Medicare, you are invited to our new offices and resource center at the Sundance Corporate Center, 835 Highland Springs Avenue, Suite 305 in Beaumont. For your no-cost Medicare consultation, people are calling 951-314-1949 to get their Medicare clarified. Silva and Silva Law is here for all your living trust needs. As attorneys, it's hard to tell someone it's too late to draft a will or living trust. Planning for one's final wishes is never easy, and the last thing you want to do is leave a mess for your children to clean up, or even worse, have to go through the probate process. Silva and Silva Law is a father-daughter law firm located in downtown Redlands. Find us on Facebook or call 909-798-1500. 909-798-1500.
Have your revocable living trust drafted by an experienced attorney and tailored to your specific needs. Call Sylvan Silva Law, 909-798-1500. K-C-A-A. Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hi, welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutson. Whether you're listening to us on KCAA, the NBC affiliate out in California, or watching our podcast on one of our many platforms, we want to welcome you. Today, we have a super fun show for you. I know you're going to love the stories, and, and I can't wait for you to meet this man. David Carlew is on the show. He's the executive director and founder, along with Charlie Daniels, for the Journey Home Project and also the president and founder, along with Charlie Daniels for Blue Hat Records. David, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Scott. I'm, it's honored to be here. I was really excited when you when you hit me up on, on social media and asked me to be a part of it. I thought you maybe wanted me to come work it and maybe do run some of the audio or something. <laughs> man, I love following you, man. You got the coolest post. And- I'm so glad I said your name right after I, the story. I don't know if you'd share it with the audience, but uh, I, ha- I had some pressure there. Well, it's, you know, Corlew is, it, it's, to me, it seems so easy. It's C-O-R-L-E-W, but people have called me so many different things. Uh, uh, it goes, it just varies. But the great story is, is my dear friend. I, I love him. Uh, I've known him for, over 30 years is Roy Cooper, the world champion, maybe the greatest calf roping champion. Uh, most will say that he's the greatest that has ever been. And and Roy and I have been friends for years, but when we first met, he started calling me Corley. And for some reason, he can't get away. When he did know me, that's what he called me was Corley. And so now he continues after 30 years to call me Corley, especially if he's had a drink or something. And, uh, but uh, years ago, he was having a, a calf roping event at his place in, in Durant. And he, I went down and worked it and helped him with the livestock and stuff. And Charlie came, Charlie came and played and he had me a money clip. I mean, a really nice, you know, us Cowboys, we have nice silver. Yeah. There's a lot of things we don't have. We don't have nice shirts or something, but we got good silver and leather. <laughs> and I get this great money clip. He gives me this, he presents me this money clip and it's beautiful. It's got a calf roper on it and gold inlaid, all of this. And I flip it over and it goes, David Corley. <laughs> my <dad>. so, what? <laughs> kind of hurt my feelings. I thought he knew me, uh, but uh but now it's 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 a treasured piece now i love it i wouldn't change it for he's tried to get it from me a couple of times to to change it and god i wouldn't give it up for anything oh that's that's Uh, i I like being david corley i'll be anything (laughs) for roy cooper that's so great that's so great so so where do you call home Where, where you've got a beautiful home there where do you call home well thank you uh my home i live in mount juliet tennessee which is probably 20, 25 miles east of Nashville. It's a community that Charlie uh, lived in. And I've been here for, gosh, a little over 40 years now, I think. But I'm from Nashville. I grew up 
in downtown Nashville. I'm a city kid. I grew up in the city and uh, I'm a Nashville native. My family has been here in Tennessee literally since it was a state. Uh, there's a lot of things the Corlews did wrong, but one thing they did do is they kept good records. And so I kind of know where my family, I know how it goes back to, I don't know, go, before they even came to the country. And we were talking about that. My name was a, a derivative of a French, a C-O-R-L-E-U. And, but I do, I do know where I come from. Sometimes that's not a good thing, <laughs> but uh, it, it, at least I know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So growing up in the city in Nashville, did you want to go straight into music or did you want to go the cowboy lifestyle? Because you have both. No, I had, you know, the, the, the funny thing about me, I grew up, I grew up uh, pretty rough uh, in a lower middle class family. My dad worked for the l &N Railroad for almost 50 years and he worked really hard. It wasn't a, a nowadays I think they make a lot of money. He certainly didn't. He was a brakeman and became a conductor, but uh, we grew up, it was 10 of us in a two bedroom house, you know, pretty much downtown Nashville, a rough neighborhood, rough times. And uh, so as I ventured out into life, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And, and I ended up I was a, a fighter. I was a Golden Glove fighter. I started fighting and it was a means to get me off the streets. Had a, a, a father, wasn't my father. My father was a great father, but he was working all the time. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had one of my friend's father uh, invite me to come. Uh, and I was, I think I was only 12 at the time. And they wow. had what they call peewee boxing. And, uh, and I went and started boxing. And that was my, that was the first thing that gave me the desire to want to get out and be something that I actually thought I could, I could actually accomplish something. I, did, I had self-esteem problems as a kid, as a lot of kids do when they grow up right. uh, tough. But uh, that was the start. No, I never thought I would be in the music business at all. Not till I was in my, uh, my early 20s is when I met Charlie. Charlie was my first really kind of, I had a, a production job, an assistant, uh, as I mean, I was 20 years old. I worked for a year or so, but when I met Charlie was my introduction into, in the entertainment business, which really became the catalyst. It became the launch pad for me being able to pursue all the dreams I had sitting on Woodrow Avenue in Nashville. All of a sudden I had this, I had a friend that people knew and it allowed him and I had the same interests. So it allowed us to pursue all the childhood dreams that both of us had, you know, and rodeo was one and cowboying was one and the military was one. And so, man, it was, that's why my friendship with Charlie has, is, is just so important in my life. It's, it's the center point of, of my life. Actually, I've, I've had to deal with that uh, somewhat like, the military when i mean when you're a part of a team you come out and uh you're a part of something bigger than you and and you're moving forward and you're knocking down doors and doing good stuff and then you wake up one morning and you're on the street as a civilian and right. you're you're who you are and that's ultimately that's it's what god does i've come full circle now that's what i do i help veterans reintegrate and learn to become civilians. Yeah. Um, 
which is I, I very, di very difficult yeah. for a lot of them. Well, I, I love that. I love your story. And I, I couldn't wait to all week, you know, to do this show. Uh, I, I know it's going to, the Cowboy Entrepreneur people that watch our show and listen to it, they're going to love, this is why it's so important to do this is to help the veterans, you know, acclimate back. It's to tell your stories and, and where you came from and what you did. So um, going back to childhood, did you like boxing? I know it was a means out, but did you enjoy that? Well, I, I did, but uh, I've always said that I, I became a champion out of fear. And I think that, yeah. you know, I think that that's, I think that that's what keeps us alive sometimes is that little bit of fear that we hold on to, whether it's, whether it is boxing or is it, is it walking out on stage and singing or speaking or doing this, which I have a fear of, uh, but it's that fear that keeps you honest. It yeah. keeps you on your toes. It keeps you sharp. And, Absolutely. and so I had fear of boxing and, and, but it, it works good and bad. The, the boxing worked for me, but what happened to me later on in life was that, that I, I, I realized the only way I got attention was to hurt someone. Uh, and, uh, and, and that uh, didn't work so well for me at one right. point. Right. And, but uh, yeah, I like a little bit of fear. It yeah, I that just, I just, that. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you met Charlie Daniels in your twenties. So, so I guess he was starting out. So what led to the rodeo? Cause I know you have a big rodeo and ranch cowboy history. Well, what happened for me was, is obviously uh, I'm, I'm no different than the, the millions of other kids that grew up on Saturday morning watching Roy Rogers. And uh, I, I knew that, um, I always liked the Cisco kids. So I was drawn to the silver and the vote bits and, and right. uh, spurs that those guys had. So I knew I was done for even then, but, <laughs> but uh, like all kids, I grew up like that. And, and it just happened to be that I had an older brother that uh, because of his wife, his marriage, uh, they had horses. And so I think, you know, from the time I was, 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, I would go out clean stalls. I was around horses a lot. So as I got older uh, and ultimately was able to get my own horses and cattle and stuff, that it became, again, it was one of those childhood dreams that I was able to fulfill. And that, again, it's all, it comes from being with Charlie and being in that place. So a kid can grow up loving horses and wanting to be a cowboy all his life. And he can go out and pretty dang easy, get a job punching cattle. If you, you know, if you want to work for the, for the money they pay. Right. But uh, for me to be able to go and do the things that are above and beyond what you would ever dream of, you know, those were opportunities that came from being the entertainment business really opened the door for, for me to pursue those dreams. That's so great. That's so great. Yeah. Well, I saw a picture with you with Casey Tibbs and then we right. talked about Roy Cooper and now it's even the modern day rodeo guys. So what, what would you say, are they the same generationally or have they changed over the years? Cause you, you well, know. Yeah, I think your audience, I mean, you would agree, your audience would agree that, um, um, the, you know, the Cowboys, Casey used to say it. He would say that, you know, when he was rodeoing and 
was coming up in the business, you know, if they, they would hit a certain town, if they were in Fort Worth, obviously there's going to be some, some rank horses, some great bucking stock, but if there were a, a rodeo in, in Des Moines, Iowa, they might have Farmer Brown's old bull or, or just some, some uh, feeder calves or something. And so obviously that this, this generational has change has happened in rodeo to where, um, you know, now we breed bulls yeah. to be mean, to be yeah. hard, to, yes. to be tough and horses. And so I think, and then, then obviously in Casey's age, in Casey's age and his time period was ultimately detrimental. If you know anything about Casey's life is that, you know, those were cowboys that literally have come from the ranch and came to town on Saturday and rodeo. That's where it happened. Now we have fine-tuned athletes that train and, and, and they're not necessarily off ranches. Most of them do have ranches, but uh, now it's more of an athletic sport, I think. And, and uh, I don't think you see as many of uh, that direct connection of somebody coming off of a ranch and becoming rodeo uh, uh, champion. But, uh, the, the, but the, of course the Wright brothers have changed it all. I mean, the Wright sure. brothers are a great example that it still lives, that kids come off of a ranch out right. of Utah Good point. and they just completely dominate rodeo, right. you know, by the old way, you know. Yeah, by the old way. Isn't that the funny? I'm so glad you said that. that that's yeah, a true point right there. Absolutely. And, and again, uh, I love the title of your show. Thank I mean, you. Think about that cowboy entrepreneur. It's almost like Someone said about Marine one time, some guy told me he, or a friend of mine, I was introducing him and they was an air force guy to a Marine. And they said, uh, well, what do you do? And you know, Marines always are taking shots at everybody. And the lady said, I'm in the air force. I did something. He had something smart to say. And he said, uh, she asked him what he did he said, I was in Marine intelligence. And she said, boy, that's a play on words. Um, and so cowboy entrepreneurship is a little bit of a play on, it on is. words, but yeah. when you look, when I look around and see some of the things, uh, man, take a walk, you know, through Elko, Nevada and see some of the braiding and some of the bit making and spur making in Texas and Cotton Elliott down in, you know, down in, and, and mid Texas down there around the four sixes. Right. Well, that's an artistic craft in itself. So the, the term cowboy entrepreneurship comes alive Yes, in, in the greatest Thank way. You. Thank you yeah. so much for saying that. Thanks. Scott will be right back with more. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Today, we're going to talk about something I'm really passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. Those that don't, now you know I do. And we've been working on this for several months and we, we wanted to get it just right. And we don't put our name on anything unless we feel 100% certain it's, it's the best product we can get. And uh, we, we've done it. I really believe we've done it. We've created a coffee line, 13 great flavors. I'm gonna show you three of them. We have K-Cups in all 13 flavors. Here's a Jamaican Me Crazy. It's a, just a really great coffee. Everyone has great logos. It has a brand, the same brand that's on our horses, our trailers. You know that brand means something and we wouldn't put it on here if it wasn't good coffee. We have whole bean. This is a great Honduran blend and uh, it's a whole bean coffee. We have whole bean in all 13 flavors. And then we have a ground coffee. Uh, this is a really great one. My wife and I really like this a lot. 
loved it, so we named it after our daughter, Hades Glen. Everyone has the packaging and the logo of the show, our brand, and I hope you like it. I, I really believe you will, and we're going to have more flavors coming out soon. We're going to have the pumpkin spices, and then we're going to go to peppermint after that. And Please send us your suggestions as well. You can find it at cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Think coffee shop. Cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Thank you so much. So, so there was a cool picture of you and you were feeding elk off a sled. And I believe that was in uh, Wyoming. Right. What, what, can you just, people don't get to do that. <laughs> can you describe what that was like? And did, that, did they just say it was a great, elk? It was a great mixture of uh, the entertainment business. I had met a family that was in the entertainment business and, um, and they, they, they had asked for some help, some professional help. And I said, I'd love to try to help if I could. And so they had called me up. I didn't really know the people very well. They said, would you like to come out uh, and let's talk business, come out to our place. I had no idea where they lived. I thought they lived in Nashville. It's where we have a place in Jackson hole. And, and I don't think they really knew what my background was too. Cause by then I had worked on quite a few ranches and, uh, on the ride from the airport to their house, obviously a really nice ranch and they were very wealthy. And, and they said, we got to feed cattle tomorrow. We're going to feed on a sled. And, uh, and while we're going to do that, we're going to feed some elk because all the, the migration trails are blocked by fences and, and stuff. And so they throw out, they allocate hay every year for the elk. And, and so, uh, I, I kind of stayed quiet and we got up that next morning. Of course, I was dressed and ready to go and, and uh, coffeeed up. And when I started helping them hitch their teams up, they go, what's this about? You know, that, I mean, they were, they had hands that worked for their ranch. And so I got up early and went and, and, and had coffee with cowboys and, and just kind of fell in. So it was, it was a treat because I had never done it before. Uh, I'd never, I've fed a lot of cattle before off the back of a truck or, or trailers and stuff, but never, cool. never off a sled. And it, it really was cool. It was a, it was a great experience. Great picture. I love how you live your life. You just say yes. And you just <laughs> do something. And then all of a sudden you have a story. And I, I think people, once we go, once again, we go back to the fear factor. They're afraid to say yes, you know, or I don't know, or I don't have time. And you just say yes. And you're feeding now, you know, I yeah. think that's a good lesson. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's been a um, um, it's been an interesting life. I've I've had a different life, um, and I'm thankful for that. All got you know, all comes from God, right? And and it's been uh, been good times, bad times, hard times. But what I believe now, even through the death of Charlie, that all of that was to prepare me for what I'm doing now, and that's to to work with veterans. Absolutely. Uh, I needed needed all of that in order to to really kind of finish out my life. And that's I think that's what I'll be doing. Uh, I hope I can continue to keep some cattle. You know, I, I have a place and I have cattle, but I always think of it more as a treatment center than it is. You know, uh, it's it helps my sanity. Yes, you know, absolutely. We, we can get as fancy as we want uh, with our billfolds, so to speak. But you know, the, the doing the cowboy deal, you know, working as a hand and, and, you know, it really kind of takes you down to that. It 
takes you down to your bark, the level Absolutely. of, of, of it, who you are. Yeah, and, I love that uh, takes you to your bark. I mean, it's so earthy, you know, yeah. when you're out there and just, it's just nothing better. It, it, I oh, love the bunkhouse oh. picture. You know, you're comparing it to Yellowstone and that picture of you in the bunkhouse. So I want to say, I want to say before we get started, the one disclaimer we should have put across is I've got dogs. I rescue I, dogs. So that, there's somebody coming up to the ranch right now. And so there's a lot of dogs barking. I hope it doesn't I, that's okay. With, you know what ranch doesn't this. have some, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Uh, that's perfect. So could you describe a bunkhouse for people maybe that's listening to us on the radio on KCAA or watching our podcast? Maybe he's never been in a bunkhouse. Maybe well, this you know, Yellowstone, but that picture you put up of this is a bunkhouse. I thought it was so great. Yeah, when I put po- when I posted that, uh, and I and I wanted everybody to know, I tried to put it in a way that I love. I think Yellowstone's a great deal. The Yellow- Yellowstone has brought awareness to the cowboy life and ranching in a certain right. way that would have never happened. And you know, it's like that. We, you know, we wait for that great military movie, that Lone Survivor or, you know, uh, uh, Chris Kyle movie. We want those movies to come out to bring awareness to the things that we love and the people we love. And that's what Yellowstone has done. What I found, because the first time I went, I had been in some bunk houses that were, were, were okay, but the first time I went to Northern Nevada in the Ruby Mountains, I went with uh, with Kurt Marcus that we talked about, who was uh, has has become a really really world renowned photographer. But he started out his love was shooting cowboys, and I had met Kurt. Kurt had called me up, wanted to meet Charlie, and so you know I traded him off. I'll introduce you to Charlie, but I want to go to one of those million acre plus outfits, you know. And and we went to the YP. Uh, which is was owned by the Petan Corporation, north of Elko, and the YP, the IL, and the Spanish Ranch, among others. But there's three main ranches in the Ruby Mountains there that make up almost 7 million acres. Obviously, most of it BLM land. But um, I had been to, I'd been to West Texas. I'd been to uh, Arizona and worked on some outfits. But when I, when I showed up at the YP, it was Easter. It was snowing like uh, God Almighty. And, um, and we got there late. We'd been a long drive up from Colorado Springs. And when I got there, that bunkhouse, it was just concrete walls. It was, it was like a, it was almost like a jailhouse. You oh, know, right. it, it was built. The YP is a very, very old ranch. Uh, Casey Tibbs told me one time, I found Casey Tibbs's brother's name carved in the bunkhouse in the saddle room so cool. on the wall so uh, his, his nickname was uh short log because casey's brother was a little guy but anyway old old and it was built you know to house it had tenant rooms you know so your room was nothing but concrete floor brick walls concrete block walls and bed springs obviously you had your bedroll, you rolled your bedroll out on the bed springs. Some of the guys that had been there long enough had actually bought them a bed frame or at least had a mattress, you know, that they laid their, their bedroll on. But, you know, it was, it was cold, took a long time for the water to heat up. You get eight or 10 buckaroos taking a shower, 
you know, that didn't happen very often, but when they did, we all did it together. I mean, in the sense that we were headed somewhere. And so it was cold. It was, it was actually, I talked to my wife and my wife said, how is it? And I said, you wouldn't, <laughs> it's different. Uh, but when I saw the bunkhouse on Yellowstone, they have a pool table and a, I think a foosball table and they got a fireplace and a kitchen area and stuff. And that was just funny for me because it's, right. it's, uh, there's a really, but I'm sure there are bunkhouses that are nice like that. And, right. and God bless them for building something <laughs> nice. Absolutely. Enough. They, they abuse cowboys enough. The least they can do is build them a nice place to lay down. Absolutely. Uh, Get some rest. So I, I cheer them on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, so eight, eight buckaroos in it, it, you know, getting ready to go somewhere. It had to be fun, though. Do you look back and say that was fun, even though it was miserable? Because that's kind of cowboying. Oh, that's that's our greatest misery. I mean, that's our greatest <laughs> memories. Yes, it's, absolutely. We, we, they sound great now when I'm telling them now, you know, you were miserable when it was happening. But it's <laughs> they, they sound wonderful now when we're talking, you know, to thousands of people out there. Uh yeah, a lot of that is. I mean, there's been days when I didn't want to be where I was at. I didn't want to didn't want to do the work. I thought, what am I doing for, you know, $45 a day? And I did all this. I was in the entertainment business, but I wasn't I wasn't getting rich uh, in the 70s. I certainly wasn't getting rich uh off working for Charlie. Um and so I did this. I didn't do it for the money, but uh I did it for the experience, but you you question yourself sometimes why why am I not at home being a right. music business person and uh, but it was again because I love that and I and I and again it goes back to that misery factor uh, I grew up that way life was hard and so even from that point in the seventies and eighties I realized that every day wasn't going to be easy every day was hard but if I got through it it built yeah. a good memory. And it also built, uh, and it was, it's, it's good times. It's yeah. good times. It's, it, uh, it is. We were out roping bulls the other day and, and uh, it was, the wind was like 50 miles an hour. It was cold. The cows were itch. Everything was itchy. They were nervous. I can't remember if it was my brother or my nephew. And they were like, this is going to be a good memory one day, but maybe not right now. And uh, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. You look back as a sense of accomplishment. That was a great uh, photograph of you faced off with that bull. Thank you uh, so much. That you posted. I love that. It was kind of the showdown. Uh, and, yeah, it was. Know, Thank you. Yeah, you he was trying yeah. to get to that other bull that had roped, and he was coming after him. So uh, my horse put us in a good position for sure. Um, That's a good deal. Yeah. You yeah. said something There's the other something. day when we were talking, and I love this. You said when you're with Charlie Daniels, you get to see things and go places that regular people don't get to do. You know, you just have so many stories. And would you mind just sharing a few? And and uh, I love the picture with Muhammad Ali or going out to eat dinner with Louis Lamar. It's just this incredible rich life um, that you've had. Well, um, the the Muhammad Ali, uh, you asked me about that before, obviously with my past in, in boxing. Yeah, now I understand. Um, in, in early 80s, I, I don't remember the day but it was in the early eighties. But anyway, they, uh, they had hired Charlie to perform at an Olympic, uh, celebration party. And it was when the Olympics 
were in um, in New York and um, God, I've gone blank. But anyway, we went to this party. It was a, it was a party to salute the Olympians, and obviously being a boxer, got Joe Frazier was there, Leon Spinks was there, um, and then Muhammad Ali was there. Floyd Patterson was there. The greats. But in, I gotta, I gotta say, being a fighter, I loved. I saw Muhammad Ali, and he was one of those people that I was. I didn't know even how to approach him. But what I was excited about was Dorothy Hamill, and I posted that <laughs> probably before you started following me. But I saw Dorothy Hamill, and she was just, you know, she was just the the goddess of the Olympics that, that year or quite a few years. And, and so I went and introduced myself to, to, um, to Dorothy Hamill. My wife is the one that grabbed me from that conversation and took me over and, and we saw yeah. Muhammad Ali and, and, and obviously he had already started having issues with his, mm -hmm. with his, uh, his issues. And, and, um, and so my, uh, my wife said, he was a, she first said, can he have a picture with you? And he looked at me, you know how he would look and bear down on people. And I thought, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> and then uh, he said, he was a fighter. And so he reached down and grabbed my hand and put it on his chin and he put his hands up. So that's how that photograph that's came so cool. together. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and that's something I, I had and I hadn't, even seen it in a long time and, and uh, a couple of months ago I dug it up and I thought wow I'm going to post this it's, you know he's really such cool. an incredible uh, you know obviously there's a lot of mixed feelings about him and right. the road he took regarding the military and the Vietnam War and all but uh, there were, he did a lot of good he did mm -hmm. a lot of good in in fighting his cause right you know he, he did a lot for uh, kids on the street you know, and obviously I'm partial to that because had it not been for my boxing coach, had it not been for Charlie Daniels, uh, I would probably not be alive. Uh, probably wouldn't have made it through my journey on the streets. And so um, I'm, I'm drawn to that. And he was one of those guys. He was one of those wow. Guys. So cool. So cool. Well, let's talk about eating so dinner with Louis Lamar. Because I love Louis Lamar, and I have his book right there, Education of Wandering Man. And I think that's yeah. such a cool biography. It's, 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 it's a Western within his, his life. Yeah, he was a really interesting guy. I mean, he, he did a lot of things before he kind of entered in the, the Wild West, so to speak. Uh, uh, I think he was there, – there's a lot to Louis that has never been written about in the sense that I think he was uh, – uh, somewhat of a kind of uh, Indiana Jones mercenary kind of guy. Uh, That's absolutely uh, China, uh, all over the Soviet Union. He he had a life prior to him being famous with Western novels. But again, Charlie and I, uh, Charlie had done a record, and I had I had read a Louis L'Amour book in high school. And I turned Charlie on to it one day. We were on the bus and, you know, that's all we did was ride on the bus and read. And I turned him on. We both fell in love and got to follow, reading every book. Every truck stop had Louis L'Amour books in it. So, um, so he named, uh, Louis had a book called High Lonesome. And Charlie, on his 
early on, Charlie bought a, a, a little Winnebago when he made his, some of his first money and he jumped in that thing and took off out West just to take some time off with his wife. And he wrote this song while he was in the mountains. I think he was actually in the mountains of Colorado, but he wrote this, wrote a song called High Lonesome, which was the name of one of Lewis Very books. Cool. So Charlie wanted to name the, and this is, this is in the seventies also. And so we wanted to name our album High Lonesome, but we had to have permission and Bantam, we called Bantam Books and they said, we have to get Mr. Lamore's, uh, his, his permission. And so they gave us a number and Charlie and I were like kids. We were at Charlie's house and we're sitting around. And so we're going to call this number. And we were thinking we were going to get a, a marketing person or a, his assistant or somebody. And I'm on the phone. And so Charlie goes, you ask for him. They're see if he's there and tell him what we want. I said, okay. So I call. And as soon as he picks up the phone, I, I realize it's Louis Lamore. Oh, goodness. And yeah. He goes, hello. You know, this distinguished voice. And, and I'm going like, holy crap. It's him. <laughs> and I can't say anything. I go, Mr. Lamore. He goes, yes. You, that's me. And, and silence, crickets. And I go, here, Charlie. So I, I just handed the phone to Charlie. And, uh, and Charlie started talking to him and, and we decided we were going to play the LA forum, uh, with Willie Nelson. And we invited him to come to a concert and he came and we actually had dinner prior to the concert. And so that was fun. And, uh, and then the, the next time we went back, we, we actually met him at the polo lounge at the Beverly Hills, uh, hotel. And, um, and that was cool because you, you know, you, you got me and Charlie got, we have stove, we've got 20 inch stove pipe boots on and our hats and our stampede strings. And here we go walking in at first, the doorman didn't want to let us in the hotel. <laughs> and then we, you know, then we told him we were meeting Louis Lamore. And so they, you know, he has his own table at the polo lounge. And so that was fun. But what we're, what we talked about was, we were, we went to his house after Charlie and Louie had become really good friends. We went to his house one evening and he did live in, you know, you wanted to think Louie lived out in the mountains and in the, or the deserts or where right. he wrote about, but he actually had a home in Los Angeles and, and but it was beautiful as Southwestern. Uh, wow. And his study was unbelievable. I mean, the, the research books that he had were, um, were phenomenal. A side note was he said that when Steve McQueen was doing the movie Tom Horn, I don't know if you're familiar with who yes. Tom Horn was. Yes. Yes. When Steve McQueen was doing his study for that, he asked Louie if he could borrow some books. And Louie never loaned anybody a book. He said, you can come to my house and read all day long, but you're not leaving with that book because I'll never get it back. <laughs> and so Steve McQueen literally spent a week literally sleeping on his couch in his study and literally getting into character in, in Louis study oh my uh, to prepare for the Tom Horn movie. And, uh, but that night we ended up having dinner with Louie and, you know, and, and I can, obviously I'm a little bit of a romanticist, but it was, it was candlelight. Obviously they had, but it was, it was simple. Uh, it was just Charlie, myself, Louie, and uh, Richard Crenna, 
who was a really, really famous character actor. He started out on The Real McCoys for any listeners. Be yeah, absolutely. But, but he ended up doing uh, the Rambo movies. You know, he was Rambo's commander. And uh, so Richard, but Richard had done some Louis L'Amour movies and did some narratives for him once when the audiobooks first came out. So, man, just to be able to sit at the table and ask Louis L'Amour any question you wanted to ask about the West. And, you know, he was such, he was so brilliant and had done so much research in, in Western culture and lifestyle that uh, when he talked about a place, actually he had, a, he had still his wife, Kathy still has a home in, in, uh, in Durango. Charlie has a, Louis talked Charlie into buying a piece of property in Durango. So for years, Charlie went out every Christmas and spent Christmas with Louis and his family. And, uh, but Louis bought a place that he actually found researching one of his, one of his books and bought the ranch. It was, you know, a couple of hundred years old in Colorado and had all this great history to it. But, wow. you know, of course, Louis Lamore would have that house. So yes. Yeah. It just fit. He was a gentleman. He was brilliant. Uh, he was a boxer. He was, he was he a really prize fighter. You know, he fought in the state fairs and things like that to pick up extra money. But, uh, what a, what a wonderful guy. Uh, I have a collection of books that he signed and I can literally lay them out to, to how he signed them when we, for, it was just an acquaintance until, you know, we got to be good friends over the years uh, along with Charlie. And Amazing. so uh, it's something I cherish a lot. It was, a, it was, it was great. I, I love it, that. It, that all of that fed my love for the West. It yes. continued to just, I mean, you know, you know, the deal. You yeah. get up every morning. So you get up in the morning, you go out, you face off with a 2,000 pound bull. <laughs> you know, it's either, a good day. Louis Lamour, Louis Lamour said that um, big country does one of two things to people it either inspires people or it scares the hell out of them. And, right. you know, there's people that don't, you go out and look across the Continental Divide or Medicine Bowl or something, and people go, I don't want no part of that place. Um, but for right. you and I, we're inspired by it. Yeah. We want to th throw a saddle on a horse and try to ride across the middle of it. I'd love to. Oh, that'd be so much. Oh, it'd be <laughs> wonderful. It'd be wonderful. I get excited talking about it. I love yeah, that. Pull one of those halters. Pull one of those bridles down there. Man, let's go. I'm telling you, I could, man. We'd put them out. We'd be off for sure. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com. For sure. So let's talk uh, movies. So Jesse James movie, you were in a, in a movie with Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson. I saw the picture. I loved it. Did you want to be an actor? Is that just, I, I'm going to get in a movie now. I've done so many other things. No, it really came from, uh, again, during those early days in the 70s and early 80s when uh, our payroll wasn't the thickest payroll in, in the country. And, and again, trying to find all things horseback, you know, it's, it's one thing to have your head, have your head in, in out West, but you live in Tennessee. So we don't have big country and there's not the opportunities that you have in Texas or people have in Nevada, or Idaho, wherever they're at, New Mexico. And so I was always looking for things Western things to do so uh because i had worked um uh, gosh 
It's such a complicated thing. The, the union, the union that works all the films and all the movies is the IOTC. It's the stagehands union and they do lighting and they do sound and they build props and they do all that. So when you see that five or six pointed seal that comes up at the end of every movie, right. that's the IOTC seal. That's the, it means that there's a union film. Um, and so in the music business, I had worked for the IOTC. So they work close with the Teamsters. The Teamsters, obviously from the name, comes from Teamsters that used to drive wagons. I mean, that were freight haulers back in the old days with mule teams. Well, the Teamsters now represent truck drivers and, and that sort of thing. Well, oddly enough, the Teamsters, the category of Wranglers and, and uh, in some state that the Teamsters do that job. So when there's vehicles, when there's horses, that falls under the Teamster union. And so I had some Teamster buddies that were, and they called me and they said, we need some horses for, for this film. And are you willing to do it? And so uh, I said, of course, you know, so I, I go out and, and they're shooting that film here in Nashville. And they shot it in a lot of the small towns around Nashville. Some of the little towns, I'm sure Texas is full of them, you know, that have the square, like Fort yes. Worth. You know, yes. you got the courthouse in the middle right. and then Absolutely. all the little buildings. So, you know, they, we did it in about five or six different little towns. They filled the streets full of dirt, hauled dirt in, made the streets, cool. you know, and, and, uh, and my first job, uh, I was there for a couple of weeks. First job was just chasing down. I think I posted that me and my buddy, our job was to, uh, chase down the horses that these actors would fall off of or, or get bucked off of when they'd start the, when they'd start the gunfight scenes, robbing banks and stuff, they had these sound effects where they just shoot off sounds, uh, gun sounds, uh, firearm sounds. And, and so ultimately somebody would either get bucked off or a horse would pull away from a, a, a place where they were tied up and, and, and we chased them down and that meant leaving the dirt and chasing a bronc right down main street in Springfield, Tennessee, you know, trying to build a loop, trying to build a loop and, 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 uh, jump a park bench at the same time. Uh, so that was kind of my first job. And then, and then ultimately when they had parks where you could, you know, once they see your face one time, that kind of kills you for extra parts, you know? So, uh, I was in a lot of scenes, but ultimately I got one part where they were, I think we were burying one of the James family and I was in the shot with Johnny Cash. So I got my walking papers next day. <laughs> you know, I was in one shot and out I went. Out you uh, go. Out you but, go. Uh, I did that. I worked on a lot of music videos here in Nashville. I had the opportunity to work with Amy Grant uh, when she had first began. And one of her videos required uh, um horses and and someone to work with her i think she had ridden quite a bit before but you know not a bad job to get to spend a couple of days with amy grant and and uh trot around on horses and yeah it was a good work if you could get it and i, I got it um, <laughs> but uh that was that again it all everything we'll talk about today all spawns from the entertainment business it, it gave me that opportunity it's kind of like coloring book, you know, I mean, it's like seeing something and going, wow, uh, I, I want to do that. I want so, to be a part of that. 
So cool, man. So let's talk Charlie Daniels. So what what was he like? I mean, as far as just being a good, he just seemed like just such a good man. You know, he was true to the Western line. Yeah, Charlie was, uh, uh, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, it's fine. Charlie was uh, just one of those, one of those guys that you meet in a lifetime. Uh, He grew up tough. He grew up, um, and his father was a, a, a timber man. His father bought timber for the big timber companies along the Carolina coast, Georgia and Carolina coast. So that in, involved traveling. So he traveled a lot. He, he told me, and I don't, this might not be the right number, but I think in one year he went to three or four different schools in one school year. And, and he was overweight. You know, he always... He, all, he got picked on. He was overweight. He wore thick glasses. And so uh, a little bit parallel with me in the sense mm-hmm. of growing up rough and, and, and maybe not having that great life. Now, of course, we look back on our childhood and we go, wow, it's a great childhood. But he grew up tough. He got picked on because of his weight, his eyesight and stuff. And so that built the, the, the center of the core of who Charlie was. And so when Charlie showed up uh, in Nashville trying to get the music business, he, he didn't fit the mold. Right. Uh, but when Bob Dylan utilized him on, on a record on Nashville Skyline, obviously he became, he was popular then. Yeah. And, uh, but he always fought that because he said, you didn't like me when I was, when you didn't, you know, you didn't like me without Bob Dylan. And so there was a little bit of a chip that he carried on his shoulder for Nashville for a while, but uh, a wonderful guy grew up, you know, spent a lot of time with his cousins and he had a big family cousin wise and uncle wise. And so uh, a lot of uh, his songs, Willie Swamp and long haired country, but all those songs come from that growing up in, 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 in rural North Carolina. Uh, I mean, think about it. I mean, obviously, we went to Iraq, Afghanistan, Kosovo, Bosnia, and all of that. But here's a guy that literally when we did an event or when we met with veterans, here's a guy that remembered Pearl Harbor. He was listening to the radio with his grandpa when they attacked Pearl Harbor. He was six years old, seven years old. And so here's a guy that had known all the wars from World War II forward so it gave him and he always said he had such a great appreciation for how the country uh, were bound together during world war ii you know people were saving rubber and saving metal and and you know it was a it was a, a community thing i mean we were a country then right and everybody was at war we right. weren't you know we weren't at the mall while our veterans were out i mean our soldiers were fighting war Everybody was a part of it. I mean, my dad didn't fight, but my dad uh, hauled a lot of military equipment and a lot of things. You know, everybody was a part of the war. And so that became the center of who Charlie was. He was, uh, you know, a country boy. I mean, he he deer hunted, bear hunted, coon hunted with dogs. He grew up in that kind of family. He said his uncle had 41 dogs at one time. They okay. use, uh, uh, but you know, he had that 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 basis of, of, of being just a, of what America stood for at that time, and uh, always kind, 
Uh, I always told the story that somebody came up after he got pretty popular and it was a poignant time for me, but somebody offered to pick up his check at a restaurant. And he said, I'd rather you pick up somebody's check that can't afford it. I can afford my mail, you know, pay, grab somebody that is having a little tougher time than me. And that really was kind of a, a center point of who Charlie was. That's a great and story. He was a father to me. I had a great father. I loved my dad, but he was my father. He was a brother. He was a boss. Uh, I learned that definitive line that he was my friend, but he was my boss, which was a great boundary to learn. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and then we had the same interest. So, uh, because he loved Louis Lamore, I got to meet Louis Lamore, you know, because yeah. he loved rodeo. I got to go to the national finals and, you know, it's so, uh, Trust me, when I met Roy Cooper, Roy wasn't coming to meet me. He was coming to meet Charlie. <laughs> so I just hung on and got the fringe benefits. Yeah. Uh, I tried to pursue everything that we did that I liked, and I would go a step further and, and pursue it. And, and uh, But, man, we had a good run. We were yeah. buddies, well, and we worked 47 years we were together. Wow. What a great relationship. And what how blessed did you get to do that? You know, yeah. how many people don't get that opportunity, not just to go have that status around the world, but just to have a friend for that long that means that much. So that's awesome. And I, I think his music is just going to live on and on. I hear I hear the newer people singing some of his songs and I, I think his memories is just going to keep going, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, his you know, he was best known for being a part of the Southern rock movement. Mm -hmm. And, and even with that, with, I mean, obviously when we first started out, we toured with the Almond brothers and Skinner and him and Ronnie Van Zant were best friends. Uh, but Skinner, uh, Almond brothers, uh, Marshall Tucker band. And he had, and Charlie always thought it was more of a lifestyle rather than a genre of music. It was a mixture of, blues that was played in the south and uh, jazz and then the country what was called country and western music back then. back then and so the we were we were products of a generation of lower white uh lower middle class uh kids that grew up in the south and so we we were inundated with blues and inundated with country music and in it you know so that that became uh, uh, what some people call a genre of music. It was a lifestyle for us. It was just uh, young what country you boys. That, yeah. And so uh, that was, I think he was noted for, uh, he never, he never wanted to uh, take more credit than he felt was due. Obviously the Allman brothers were a big influence, not only on his music, but his, is uh, just kind of the way we came up in the business. Awesome. And, uh, lots of memories. Yeah, lots of memories. That's awesome. I want, uh, so that picture behind you, that's really cool. There's that series of three pictures. Yeah. Uh, it looks uh, like skin. Who? Yeah, it's, it's a pen and ink. It's, um, I'm a, uh, uh, I love art. I love Western art. I'm, I'm a huge, Charlie Russell is, is my Zen father. I love the Charlie Russell. Beautiful work. Uh, Beautiful I've work. made quite a few trips to, to Great Falls. Uh, I have all his books and things. Uh, uh, but that was actually uh, along the way. Uh, another wonderful human being that I got to meet was uh, Buck Taylor. Uh, 
and Buck Taylor was uh, newly in Gunsmoke, and then he went on, he did a million Western films. His dad, Dub Taylor, was famous and uh, did all the John Wayne movies and things. But Buck and I have become friends over the years, and, and Buck, um, I bought that uh, when Buck first started uh, painting and drawing. I'm sure he did it a lot, but when he became famous, uh, Buck uh, uh, did that piece. It was a piece that he did right after they finished Tombstone, which Buck was Turkey Creek Johnson in Tombstone. And, um, and then his two sons, Adam, and I'm trying to remember the other son's name, but uh, they all worked on Tombstone together. So each one of those pictures is a sketch. One is Buck, one is Adam, and one is the other, the other son. And um, uh, they, um, um, and then soon after that, Adam passed away. He was killed in a motorcycle wreck. Mm. And so I cherish that. I mean, I, I cherish it, one, because Buck did it. I, I love Buck because he's he darn sure a cowboy first. I mean, Buck's, Buck's got a few years and miles on him and I mean, I talked to Buck last week. He's still roping. I mean, oh my goodness, you know, awesome. he got, I think Buck's in his eighties and he's still, still roping and still training his horses. And, and, uh, I just love him to death and we've become good friends. I've got some other Buck Taylor pieces around here and he's donated some art for us to auction off for our foundation. So again, part of that, that era, he was a friend of Casey's. I think that I met a lot of those old guys uh, because of Casey. Casey mm -hmm. Tibbs, uh, again, through show business, Casey yeah. showed up at a concert um, in San Diego, California. Um, too many years to remember, maybe 1980, 79, 80. And uh, got to be really, really good friends with Casey. And I was friends with Casey during his tough times with alcohol. And mm. uh, um, he, we became really, really good friends. And then right before, when, when he got sick, he got cancer and, uh, Mike Warner, who was running the hall of fame, the pro rodeo hall of fame in Colorado Springs asked me and Charlie, would you guys do a concert? We want to build a statue of Casey. And it's the statue that's in front of, of, uh, the pro rodeo hall of fame. Uh, that Ed Hayes, who is who is on social media that I see a lot, Ed is uh, Ed was going to do the sculpture. So I, if anyone, any of those that are listening have ever been to the Hall of Fame, it's a 28 foot bronze of Casey riding a horse called Necktie, and I, I understand uh, from uh, Paul Bear, who ran Capriola Saddles for years up in Elko. He said that horse had been turned out 125 times and had never been ridden. And Casey rode him. And uh, as Paul uh, Barris said, he ripped the feathers out of him. And uh, and that was when that was when I've got a bronze. I've got a, 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 a the one of the first cast off the big bronze. Oh my! But uh, but we helped raise that money and we got the statue up in August of '88. And then Casey, uh, I've actually got a picture over here with me and Casey sitting under the bronze, but uh, then he passed away uh, that following January in 89. Oh my uh, goodness. But what, what, a, what a great legend of rodeo and, and that brought, I mean, he was the Muhammad Ali of rodeo. I mean, yeah. he, he wore satin shirts and purple shirts and yeah. people called him names and stuff for being too flamboyant. And 
but he was a wonderful guy. And there's, and I don't think anybody will argue. There's never been anybody to ride a bucket horse like Casey Tibbs. No, no. There's I a agree. brilliant, there's a brilliant documentary about Casey called the floating horses. And, okay. uh, and, uh, if you want to know about Casey Tibbs, you should see that it's a brilliant film, brilliant documentary. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Hi, I'm food critic Alan Borgen, and I'm excited to tell you about a small local 